Welcome to the AR-15 Podcast. AR-15 Podcast. This is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you if you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years. There is something we can all do to take our black rifle to the next level. Welcome to this week's episode of the AR-15 Podcast. I'm JD and simply stated, cancer sucks. This week, we lost a good friend of the AR-15 podcast, David, the owner of New Frontier Armory in North Las Vegas, Nevada, lost a short battle with cancer earlier this week, and Reed and I thought it'd be a fitting tribute to grab the interview we did with him a couple years ago and play it back this week so that we could uh, share David's passion for firearms, what got him started in it, also his service in the military, uh, what started the retail side of New Frontier Armory, and also the manufacturing side. We thought it'd be a fitting tribute to our friend. And also, uh, David once famously said that Reed's voice put him to sleep at night. So uh, anybody who says that is well worth rebroadcasting here on the AR-15 podcast. So uh, whether whatever you believe, whether it's good thoughts, vibes, or whatever, prayers, um, please be uh, in those for his wife, Jessica, their two young kids, uh, for his family and his friends and all the staff at New Frontier Armory. Uh, please be uh, lifting them up as they go through this difficult time. And David was one of these uh, amazing guys who left a huge imprint uh, on the world around him, uh, seeing a lot of stories of those things being posted right now. Uh, on Facebook and uh, other uh, pro 2A sites and pro uh, hunting sites, everything that David was involved in. Uh, I remember sitting in his office telling him that uh, I had an idea to run uh, social media for firearms companies to make a living at it, and uh, he was my first client for New Frontier Armory. And uh, he just tossed me the keys to his brand and my crazy idea, and uh, always thankful for that, believing in me doing that. So, uh, and very thankful for David and uh, the mark that he left, not only in the firearms community, but uh, on those that always came into interaction with him and those that were around him. So we're going to go ahead and roll this interview, and uh, we're going to learn about uh, his military service, his background in firearms, and uh, what started New Frontier Armory. I grew up uh, in a family. My grandfather was uh, an avid shooter. He was actually an avid trap shooter and a little bit of bird hunting. So I grew up around them. Uh, they were always, uh, I, my father wasn't really into it and I didn't have any brothers or anything like that. Um, it, it wasn't really readily available to me to just go out and shoot like, like we do out here in the West now that I live out here where you can just, you know, drive 20 minutes and, and go shooting and everybody has a hundred guns each. Uh, I grew up in Connecticut. Um, I was able to shoot. I did some, uh, rifle shooting as a child and, uh, some shotgun with my grandfather. And it was always a, it was a reward for doing good in school. So I didn't get to shoot as often as I wanted to. But, um, after that, 18 years old, I joined the military and, uh, I was a combat engineer in the Air Force, traveled all over the world. And, uh, I think really when I, when I took a serious, serious interest in it was, uh, my, when I got stationed in Germany and, uh, I guess, 2001 or so, uh, right after 2001, um, I, I met up with some guys there that were, uh, really into hunting and stuff like that. And it was, it was one of those things where everybody complained about Germany. Oh, it's impossible. You can't have guns. You can't have guns. But one of the ways to have guns there is to hunt. So at first, um, I got into it more so that I can have my guns. Um, I got into the hunting program there. And then, uh, after being with some of those guys for quite a while and, and getting into it, I got really deep into, uh, into hunting while I was there. And, and that became my, my main focus. And I, and I stayed with mostly, uh, 
mostly sporting guns. I like to shoot, uh, I shoot competitive ski to this day and I like to shoot sporting clays and, and more long range rifle and that type of stuff. Um, so I picked that up there and, and really got into, I got into reloading. Same guys that kind of pulled me into the hunting scene, uh, over there. A good friend of mine, uh, Mike, he taught me how to reload while I was there. So I, I started reloading for everything I shot, um, including shot shells and, and really got deep into that and really enjoyed that. And then, um, I got off the plane and, and landed here and a bunch of friends of mine, uh, close friends that I was stationed with before were already here in, in Nevada, uh, when I got stationed here. So, I mean, within hours of, of hitting the scene here, I said, Oh my God, I can't believe this. Cause in Germany, it's a, pr- a big process to buy a gun. So my, my first guns that I bought, it was a lot of approval from this guy and that guy in months and months. Basically, uh, I'd honestly say it's a more cumbersome system than our class three stuff here was to go buy, if you wanted a, a Ruger 1022 there, you're going through that same process. So it was, uh, it wasn't just walk into a store and go buy a gun there. So I, I, I was super spoiled when I got here and got really excited and I went on a buying spree when I got here. I couldn't believe like you can go on Craigslist and find guns and going to people's houses and started meeting like-minded folks and, uh, uh, stayed with it here, did a lot of shooting, uh, first couple of years I was here, uh, traveled a lot with the military. We deployed six or seven times, uh, while I was here, um, within actually within three months of me getting here. So I was gone more than I was here for the, the first seven or eight years that I lived here. Um, going on 11 years here now, um, somewhere in 2009, uh, a group of us got together and decided that it would be a great idea to get an FFL because all we did was all of us take our paychecks and drain them into guns. <laughs> and, um, you know, there was a myth out there that, you know, if you get this FFL, all of a sudden guns are half price. Uh, and we learned really quick that, that it's absolutely untrue. Um, horrible, horrible margins in guns. But uh, we, we did it more of, of a, like a club thing. And then uh, a whole bunch of different stuff. When we first started, it was basically, uh, you know, when I got off of work on base, uh, I'd come here and we had it more of a hangout. It wasn't really a store, had no no carpet. The walls weren't painted. No showcases, no anything. Um, we'd buy and sell a few things here and there in bulk. A lot of it was reloading supplies, stuff the other shops weren't doing. And, uh, you know, we went, we'd go to the government auction and buy tons of ammo cans and drive to California and pick up these ammo cans and come up here and sell them in the parking lot at gun shows and, and a lot of embarrassing stuff now looking back at it. But it was, uh, it was all cool, really cool experience. Um, a friend of mine was doing something similar, but without the firearms part, he was doing some accessories and stuff like that around town. And, uh, it was kind of when construction started dwindling here and hit a little downturn and, and, uh, didn't have any work anymore at the construction site. So he said, Hey, there's people banging at this door all day. Why don't we, you know, open it up as a store? So he put a bunch of stuff in there and I put a bunch of stuff in there and, uh, it kind of grew from there. I don't know, uh, when you first started coming, but I know we started off with a 1200 square foot retail space and uh, pretty empty, um, a lot of my own guns got sold so I could have something in the cases. Um, it's funny business to get in. Uh, a lot of the big distributors and hopefully none of them will cut me off now. I think I do a, a good enough business with them, but early on, I'm not going to lie, you know, I'd call all my friends that I could and Hey, everybody bring your guns to the store so I could take these pictures. Distributors wouldn't sign you up unless you had photos of this, you know, perfect gun shop with tons of guns in it and all this. And well, if none of them will do it, I can't get a chance to buy any guns from anybody. So we had to, <laughs> kind of fake some photos and take some creative uh, pictures of our stores and all that stuff and got it all done. And, and, uh, over time built up the store really, really slow. Um, it, it took on 
I can't even explain how awesome it was. I just, I got really, really lucky with employees. Um, as we added employees, like I said, it started with me and then two and then three and then four. And, um, we're going at it for, this will be our, actually this month in three or four days is our seventh year, uh, open to the public. So, um, it's grown immensely. We're at 24 employees on this side of things now. Um, we stay really busy as you, you know, you've been in the store. We, we stay really popular. Um, all based on customer service, really. That's that's one of the main reasons. When we decided to actually turn it into a business, um, I think that was the biggest thing for me was what, what are these other places not doing? And, and one of the problems, and there's there's a ton of great gun stores in town. There's hundreds of FFLs in town. There's, you know, three or four stores our size, and, and I'm friends with a few of the owners of some of the other ones, and there's some great stores in town. But for, for a long time, it wasn't the case. Uh, there was a huge lack of customer service. Um a lot of price gouging going on and stuff like that. So our deal has always been, you know, let's be fair and, and do it in volume. And and then uh, I got out of the military uh, a few years back um, at my 15-year mark. Um, it was kind of a, a decision I had to make. I, I had some medical issues, and um, it was either cross-train into a career field that I didn't want to do. I mean, I was used to being on the front lines. We were over in Iraq and Afghanistan running convoys all the time, and um, basically I would have been – and not to knock anybody that works in Air Force services, but I'd have been handing out towels at the gym or working in a chow hall or something like that. So that definitely wasn't me and doesn't fit my personality. So uh, I made a really hard decision at 15 years to, to jump ship, and uh, I didn't want to cross train. So ended up getting out, and uh, and then that's when the business really started to take off because I had my full attention and, and all my focus and uh, working a lot of hours and, and built it up. Um, Somewhere around, I guess the second Obama panic, um, we had, we started running into supply chain issues. As we, as we grew, we grew into a little more wholesale work. Um, we were, we were getting to be the big boys in town and, and having the buying power to fill the store and get really good deals on stuff that I couldn't get before. And, uh, one of the, you know, one of the markets I found and, and kind of went after really hard and I still do today is the smaller dealers, uh, kind of get, they get pushed aside in this industry really easy um, by whether it's buy-ins or this or that. You know, some company, well, you can't buy any of our stuff unless you, you know, buy a hundred thousand dollars worth of our stuff. And so we found this niche where, hey, I'm already buy, bought in with these guys. I'm buying a ton of stuff from them. I can pass this on to these other dealers at a small markup and, and see what we can do there. So we started doing a lot of wholesale. Um, as we were doing that, as things tightened up around that second election. Uh, we had a lot of supply chain issues. Uh, no matter how big I thought I was, I was probably nobody to them. And a lot of manufacturers went went straight to retail during those times and uh, kind of drained all of us dealers. So even though I could have sold a million dollars a day worth of guns, if you can't get them, you can't sell them. So um, I, I made a bold attempt at, hey, we should do this ourselves. Why, why can't we make these? We can figure this out. So... Uh, Working with one of my previous vendors, came over and, and hired him, bought a building, um, you know, only about 10 minutes down the road. Um, you get to come one of these days when you want to make the trek around town. But uh, we bought a bought a, about a 9,000 square foot building uh, about 10 minutes away. Um, bought a couple. Actually, yeah, we started with two, two CNC machines, two CNC mills. Uh, no idea what we were doing in the big scheme of things. Looking back at it now, I laugh. I mean, you know, made a lot of bad decisions. Um like any any venture, I think, you know, takes a, a very strange path, but uh, easy to look back on it now and Monday morning quarterback it. But I think I think we did pretty good. And uh, it's been about I think this summer is going to be three years with the, the manufacturing shop open. And, you know, we have four or five, six times the machines down there. Um, we're running 
everything right now 24 7 uh to try to keep up and we're still booked out for the year pretty much so we're working with uh the power company right now to try to get a power upgrade so we can throw uh six or seven more machines in and four or five more employees and and keep that place smoking but it's all it's all grown it's grown huge the store has grown huge um a lot to it but we're really happy with where we're at and and where we're growing and and uh, I think just now is where we're putting some effort. Uh, we, we've done it really quietly, I think. We stayed under the radar for the most part, and it, and it was nice. Um, I enjoy being under the radar with a lot of this stuff. I don't, I don't like to get in all the, the fights that I see out there in the, in the back and forth. So we've flown really low under the radar, basically focusing on, focusing on uh, smaller dealers and servicing them as far as our wholesale business and manufacturing business goes. Um, same thing. I, I opened up some programs that, that I didn't have afforded to me when I started. And I said, man, if I had this when I started, I could have gotten a lot bigger, a lot faster. And, you know, companies wanted 500 and $1,000 to set up a variance to, to make receivers for them with their name on it. And, uh, you know, I decided, hey, that wasn't the way to go. You don't need to have somebody buy 500 of these things to do it. We figured out how to do it pretty fast and switch back and forth between brands that we do. So uh, we started doing variances with, with no setup fees for other dealers and, uh, and we just did minimums of 10, 10 part orders. So we've grown that quite a bit. We have several hundred, uh, variance, variance customers that we do work for. And then over the past year or so, we've gotten in with some bigger companies, um, that we're doing some contract work for them now. So just now is when we're kind of, it's being exposed that we're, that we're a lot bigger than people thought we were. And we were under stable, stayed under the radar for quite a while, but now we're, we're going to hit it pretty hard now with some, a lot of new products in the pipeline coming out this year. So awesome. I, uh, I was talking to Ivan, you know, going back and forth because, um, the two people that aren't eligible to win this nine millimeter AR are reading myself. So, uh, I was talking to him about getting one and, uh, it's amazing how, how busy you guys are and, uh, you, even your own product in the shop. Sometimes, you know, you don't see it in the case because it's going out the door so quick. And he's telling me, he just told me the other day, he's like, ah, like six to eight weeks on the upper. And maybe if we're lucky, we'll get you the, the lower in a month or two. And so I'm like, yeah, it's, all right, I understand. It's been ridiculous. Uh, we commit to dealers. We don't, we don't ever take any prepayments from any of our customers, retail or wholesale. And, uh, I, I do honor their purchase orders. So if guys, if guys are sticking with me through the slow times and they're keeping purchase orders rolling and they're out pushing the product that we're making, um, I, I feel like I'm obligated to make sure that when, when there is good times like we're in right now this year, you know, since November, um, that they're taken care of through that as well. So yeah, my, my retail sales guys absolutely hate me because <laughs> if I walk by and I see something sitting still and it's not either, you know, coming out of a box and going into a customer's hands, I'm online trying to sell it. I'm, I'm running around. I'm, filling old orders and yeah, I don't let anything sit. So they, they just finally twisted my arm to say, do you know how embarrassing it is when people come in the store and we're out of stock of all of our own stuff? And I said, yeah, you're right. So like I said, we're, we're, we're making some efforts to crank up down at the shop and, and we're putting out, honestly, we're putting out over, you know, I won't say a number, thousands and thousands of parts a week out of that shop. So it's not like we're just not making the stuff We're we're definitely cranking everything out and, and stuff's getting out as fast as it can. But uh, that is one big push we're doing is try to get a lot more of our stuff out in the retail store. Nice. If you were to uh, look to the future of New Frontier Armory in five years, where would you want to be? What would you want to see come out of your company? Honestly, um, I think we're going to stay on track with what we're doing. We, we, we've gone back and forth a few times with complete rifles, and uh, it's not a matter of can we do it or not or can we do it cheap enough or, or nice enough. Um, it's a matter of we, we don't think – 
we don't think that's where the market is or should be. Uh, I'd rather help educate people on how to build their own, uh, build their own gun from the ground up or with, you know, at least sections of our stuff. You want to get a complete lower from us or a complete upper and, and do this or that. But I don't like putting people into something out of the box. That's, it's not them. Uh, you know how big this industry is and how many parts are available. I mean, grips, there's, you know, 50 different brands of grips and colors and styles. And, and there, there's so many options now. Everybody's kind of beating this horse to the point where, now we're just making stuff up to, to, to sell for AR-15s. Um, there's, there's, I, I like it all. I love that the options are there. I don't buy into a lot of it on my personal guns. I run pretty stock guns, but there's so many gadgets and gizmos and, and oh, this is better and that. And we're, we're changing stuff now just to change stuff to make something new. And um, I, I'm, we're going to stick with components. Uh, I'm going to continue to grow the uh, the wholesale and the manufacturing side of our business rapidly, uh, especially the manufacturing portion. Um, I think that's where the future at is, at, is definitely at for our company. Um, the retail store, honestly, is is not my favorite portion of the business anymore. I have a, a strange loyalty to it because I really, really love our local customers. We have we have regulars that come in, and, and you know my guys, my guys that have been around at least for a little bit, they, they know they know people's names that, and they might not come in the store for a year or two, and they still remember their names, and and I love seeing that, and I, I love taking care of our local customers, um, and I love my employees, so. And that's a big part of it too. But the, uh, the retail store anymore, I think if, if there was no regulation that a firearm had to transfer through an FFL, I honestly think 99% of us would just wither up and go away. Um, with what you can do online now between Amazon and, and, and different warehousing shops online, you can have something here the next day for, you know, there's tons of guns out there that are honestly, there, there's no margin in it for me. They're, Customers can go out and buy it cheaper than my dealer price a lot of times uh, from some of these warehousing stores, which I, I'm not mad about it. It is what it is. Um, we ship a lot of guns out of state, too, so I never get mad about that. But I, it's it, retail stores in general, I think, not even just in the firearms industry, are kind of dying away slowly. You see Walmart closing a bunch of stores even here in town where we have a, a hustle and bustle town. Um, there's reasons for that. There's just It's too convenient to leave the house anymore uh, to go shopping. You're getting your groceries delivered. You're getting your Amazon the next morning or whatever. So um, I, I don't think it'll die off or anything. We're doing really well. Um, and we're staying very busy. Uh, but I, I think it's grown to, to where I need it to be, and, and that's about all it's going to get. We're up to, a, you know, we started with about 1,200 square feet or so, and we're up to uh, 6,000 square feet of retail space now. So we're pretty we're pretty maxed out there, and I think that'll taper off, and, and our focus is going to, shift really hard to the manufacturing side of things over the next couple of years. Yeah, I'll be up to visit you guys in a week. Um, my favorite lowers went on sale this last weekend, and I have a lower problem. Um, I tend to just buy. a lower addiction. <laughs> so uh, I'll be up there to, to see Ivan and <laughs> pick up some of the lowers I've got coming in and, and talk. But um, thanks for giving us a, an overview of the company and your your background in New Frontier. Um I'm going to turn it over to Reed now as we talk about the 9mm carbine. It seems to be um, one of the hot items in the market. Um, we saw, a, you know, you guys at SHOT Show. And then as you're seeing the news releases out, you're seeing other people come to the market with 9mm carbines. And so um, we're excited about the one we're giving away our listeners, right, Reed? Absolutely. You know, I think that really when it comes down to it, to date, the pistol caliber carbine has been more of a novelty than it has been kind of a mainstay of any particular line in anybody's, I don't know, inventory or stable of offerings. Um, 
so I think the thing that interests me most at the outset is, is this something that you guys picked up on, or did you just decide, hey, 9 millimeters where we want to be this year, or was there some kind of leading indicator that you guys caught wind of that gave you the, the confidence to you know, come in behind this and really, you know, put down some effort and resources into um, putting this aspect of your line together? So one of the reasons, uh, we've messed around with the platform for, for quite a while uh, using different, you know, mag blocks and adapters and different stuff. Um, we definitely weren't the first ones to come out with the, you know, 9 mil with Glock magazines. There was three out when, when we released ours or two, two on the market for sale and, and one on its way with us. Um, what we try to do, and, and it's kind of been, it's been a trend, uh, and we did it with the polymer lowers and, and, and that type of stuff. I like to see things out there affordable. And, and I honestly, like you said, the nine mil thing was a, was a really cool idea, I think, for a lot of reasons. Um, ammo prices, uh, availability of the magazines, different, different reasons, um, where I think they make cool little guns, uh, especially the nine, but any of the pistol calibers. Um, I think there was, uh, there was an entry fee that was way too high to have one as a toy or just for most people just to buy one. Um, a lot of guys, if you, if you hear, I know you guys are all in the same circles that I'm in on, you know, Facebook and YouTube and all that stuff. And you'll hear a lot of these guys and, and they talk and they name three or four of the, you know, top tier brands. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with those. Actually, I own, a, I own a ton of other brand guns. Uh, I have more ARs that aren't mine than, than are mine and not for one reason or another. Um, and, and nothing wrong with them. It's just, I, I think, a big part of it was people see that side of the industry because that's what people talk about online. The, the majority, and I can tell you as uh, from a sales standpoint, uh, the majority of, of shooters and gun enthusiasts aren't the guys out buying $2,000 ARs and running the best of the best of whatever. It's the guys buying stuff at Walmart. It's the guys buying stuff online cheap. Uh, and, and there's that segment of the market is so much bigger. You don't hear from those guys because they don't bother with it like we do. They're not into it. The amount that some of us are where we're, we're talking about it all night on forums and, and on Facebook and on here and in this group and that group. Um, they just like to go out and shoot on the weekend, uh, once a month, once every couple months, whatever, and they put their guns away and they go on with their life. They don't, they don't accessorize them to the T. They don't, they don't worry about all this stuff. So that market was missing out on that, on that nine mil carbine. Um, there was a few other ones out there, some newer stuff and, and I didn't like any of the options that were out there. Um, we messed around a little bit with, with Colt mags and, the more and more we talked about it, the more and more we did some testing, uh, we decided Glock Mags was the way to go. Um, a lot more out there, a lot more available. And the tipping point was right around when we were going back and forth on the two Magwells. Um, uh, when we were going to make the decision was when Magpul released that they were going to make a, you know, a, a Glock Mag that was half the price. And I said, well, that's right in line with what we're doing. So we sat there and looked at it. And, and like I said, it was a cost prohibitive thing to, to even to build your own was very expensive. Magbox at, at one point, I, a couple of companies might still be at $200 and $225 for an insert that goes in your magazine. And, and now we're able to put out a lower for less than that. So I, I think that's really cool. So that was, that was our main goal with that. I said, Hey, we can, we can put a dent in this. Um, and like I, I talked to you earlier before the show, um, Part of production that people don't understand, they, they get puzzled. I have to answer, I answer questions a lot in the store too. How could a 410 shot shell cost four times as much as a 12 gauge shot shell that's three times the lead, three times the powder, three times the hull? It's easy. They're making millions and millions and millions of those 12 gauge shells a minute. So all the material, everything that goes into that is, is bought a lot cheaper 
and, and the machines are running a lot faster, more efficient than the 410 who we don't sell that much of. And it was my same theory with this was, hey, if I can, if I can make these lowers affordable and, and give everybody the same quality and the same little features that, that some of the, the more expensive ones have and just make it a little bit cheaper, uh, not make the product cheaper, but offer it for, for less of a price, then I think we can sell a ton of more 9mm barrels, which will drive the cost down on 9mm barrels, a ton of more 9mm bolts, ton of, uh, a ton more of all these parts that we use in this gun. So we set out, and it was it was like everything else I've done since the day we opened this business. It was it was go broke or or you know go home, I, and and we did. We put it all on the line. We ordered thousands of barrels, thousands of bolts, uh, you know, thousands of everything. Figuring, hey, there's there has to be a way to get the cost on this stuff. A barrel, a nine millimeter barrel, at eight inches shouldn't cost two hundred fifty dollars, three hundred dollars. That's ridiculous. There's no way, you know. Um, so we got the price driven down on, uh, we were the first ones. And, and, and if you noticed, I'm not taking credit for the whole trend. It's going that way because there's a lot of good marketing from some other companies out there as well. And, there, and there's a big push. And like anything in this industry, when, when your neighbor gets it or your buddy gets one and you start shooting it and you like it, guess who gets one next? And, and, and it's a lot of it is that, that there's more people having them now and the, and the word's getting out there. But I, I will take credit for a little chunk of it and say that I think some of it was, uh, was us driving the price down, the price of entry to that. To that platform and, and driving some of those uh, parts down, the barrels, bolt, bolt carriers, stuff like that, where, hey, wait a minute, now I can build this for the same price I can build a decent AR for. Hmm, I might have to look at this now, you know? So that was that was the intention when we when we started with that platform in it. And I'm happy to say that it, it definitely worked. Uh, we're outselling our standard AR-15 lowers right now with the nines. Uh, tons of purchase orders in for the 45 that'll be out really soon, a large frame Glock uh, lower. So it, it definitely worked. Well, let me ask you this. So in terms of kind of like the the status quo of the rifle caliber AR-15 lines, you know, 223 is king. Um, do you think that that the 9mm and whatever other pistol calibers kind of come up in terms of popularity and uh, are capable of being drivers of more sales, are you going to have like two parallel lines i mean are you going to have like like you know the big companies are going to have uh, a line of rifle caliber ars and then the pistol calibers i mean are, are are you seeing this as a fad or is it something that's going to entrench itself into just the way that you do business where you will always from here on out have 9 millimeter lowers and the tools for or the the components for 9 millimeter uppers because they're just going to have their own supported, uh, refreshing, renewing customer base. That's a that's a good question, and we actually we discuss a lot of this stuff as we grow our uh, as we grow our manufacturing shop. You know, we have to discuss this stuff because we're not looking days out; we're looking months and years out uh, when we're buying equipment and changing things. And and that's one of the things we've talked about quite a bit. Um, I don't think it's a fad per se. I, I think you'll see a big boom in it right now. You're obviously seeing this huge spike. And, and right now it's those guys I described, like like me and you guys that are that are really involved in the industry and and talking online. And you'll see that peak first. And as that peaks, the guys that aren't into it like we are are now seeing them show up at the range, and they're they're getting that second wind of of this stuff going. So that I'm thinking that'll be sometime spring to summer next year. Uh, you'll see that second wave of guys come through, and and you'll see. I can tell you, you'll definitely see them in a lot of the big box stores under other brand names. Um, they're going to be out there. They're all over the place. You'll see everybody pop up with it and, and ride the wave through. 
And then uh, I, I don't think it'll go away. Uh, like I said, as the price comes down on them, I think they're uh, they'll be they'll stay a staple. You know, uh, we mentioned before that I've had an opportunity to uh, handle a pistol caliber AR, and <clears throat> while I you know favored the 357 Sig in that choice, uh, which in and of itself is not an inexpensive route, I, I would say that in terms of being able to go out and I think have an opportunity to get on the range and put trigger time into a rifle that's going to, you know, allow you to have an interactive training session. I got to think that the nine millimeter lends itself to something more substantial than say, you know, uh, an AR converted to shoot 22 um, and still give you some, Kind of price effective points, uh, you know, allowing you to train in higher volumes of fire for less cost than the 223. Do you think that that's a viable choice in that regard? Or do you think there's something that distinguishes? I mean, yeah, obviously it's not the same magazine, you know, there's some differences there, but are you going to get some of the same training features with a little less cost if you go to the pistol caliber? I think so, and a lot of guys that are um, there's a lot of guys not only for the for the training itself, but there's a lot of guys switching to to nine and forty five pistol caliber carbines um, for for defense type guns. Um, there's actually a lot of uh, law enforcement agencies messing around with them right now, um, and, and some of them have adopted already. Um, it, it's suitable for that. And you got to remember how popular the MP5 is say, uh, all over the world for that type of application. So you brought up a good point with the training. I think it is. I think. Um, I don't know how to explain it. I have 22 conversions. I, I think going out and shooting that, it feels almost more like a toy, like you're like you're not really shooting a, an AR anymore, um, where the 9 doesn't. Um, that, uh, a little bit cost savings on the ammo for sure from the 223. And then uh, one of the points while we're on the training aspect is I, I'm seeing a lot of local guys that love it. When they're out training, they're carrying a ton of mags on their belt, and they're shooting their Glock 17 or their Glock 19. And they're running the same mags in their carbine and not carrying a bunch of different stuff and a bunch of different ammo to the range and whatever. So um, I think there's there's some pluses in there for sure. Well, and I guess, you know, it, it, it's hard to imagine not having the ability to use the same mags you would in your, you know, rifle caliber AR might be a little bit of a hindrance. But still, trigger time is trigger time. I don't think it matters what you're shooting. That's right. So... You know, in terms of what you have brought to, uh, you know, essentially the nine and a carbine's been around for decades now. But what you guys think you brought to the the carbine, uh, the pistol caliber carbine? What do you what do you think is kind of like um, the 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 big add? And and yes, you you know, I think you're right when you talk about getting purchasers to the market. I mean. You're not going to attract uh, the average driver if all you can buy is a Lexus. He's going to figure out how to ride the bus or walk. But when you're talking about the other things that make your carbon unique, what are you adding to it that you guys are really proud of at this point? Um, a lot of it was compatibility things, for sure, uh, little features that we put in to, to make a lot of parts that weren't working on some of them work, for sure. Uh, one of the major ones is... Uh, we distribute for a company named XStar. Um, I know JD's seen our XStar pistols in here, uh, the EXP556, and you guys saw the EXP9 at SHOT Show that should be out really soon. Um, 
those guys do some really groundbreaking stuff. They have, they have tons of stuff in the works. Um, really, really smart guys over there. And as they were messing around building this EXP nine, uh, polymer pistol, um, they've came up with a really, really great last round bolt hole open design. And I kind of, uh, I, I stayed on their backs for a, a ton of time and then please let me use it. 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 And they finally agreed once it was patented that, uh, that we, we had a licensing agreement with them to use the, uh, last round bolted open system of theirs. Um, it's in our upper receiver, which some people don't like because they want to use all different types of uppers, but we do offer, you know, a side charging upper, uh, non-reciprocating side charger and a uh, standard AR upper with it in it. So, um, we tested a bunch of systems. We tested a bunch of uh, stuff that was already on the market when we started. Um, we tried a little designs here and there, and and uh, we weren't happy with any of them. Um, I messed around the year before we put ours out. I kind of went to Shot Show and I, I visited two booths. And hey, does your bolt hold open work any better than people say online? Uh, not really. Like they admitted it. Um, there's still a company that on their website says that it doesn't work. Like hey, this thing isn't really great. We're not happy with it. But if you mess around with it and bend some stuff here and there, it might work, um, maybe, sometimes. And I'm like, that's not good enough. So I, I, I was, um, you know, you mentioned Lone Wolf earlier. Lone Wolf's had their 9mm Glock lower out the longest. Um, they've done really, really well with it. And it's just a basic, basic piece. And we kind of built on that. But, uh, you know, that was the route they took was, hey, this thing doesn't, the bolt hold open just doesn't work in the lower, so just get rid of it. Why? I'm not... That was a decision we, we had to make was either we're, we're just going to either do this thing without one totally uh, because I'm not putting one in there and it doesn't work. I'm not dealing with it. I'm not dealing with the customer service issues. Um, it's not worth, can I say half-ass? You can beat me out. I don't know. <laughs> not worth doing it that way. So um, we, did it, we did it the right way. We worked with X-Star real closely, um, got this system developed that we can they can use in their X-Star pistols and, and we can use in our aluminum parts. And uh, it's worked out really, really well. We're super happy with it. Um, everybody that's used it is super, super happy with it. Uh, very, very reliable because it's so simple and it just works, works every time. See, I think that's pretty amazing. So, uh, aside from that, um, is, is this 4A into the 9mm realm something that comes with any other uh, thoughts for improvement? Or, you know, has all of that ground been plowed before and really it's about Better manufacturing, better customer service. Where do you do? Where do, where do you think your your energies are on this? I think that's what a lot of it is. The, the platform has been around for decades. Uh, you know, with cold standard mags, or there's if you go digging around online, there's tons and tons of different conversions people have done over the years to use all types of surplus military style mags. Um, it's all been done, and, and like I talked about a little bit earlier uh, with the AR stuff. There's very, very little coming out. There's stuff that's coming out that has benefits for sure, but there's very, very little coming out that's new and groundbreaking. And, and there's a reason. It's been around for decades and decades and decades, and we've played with this thing over and over. And when something works, just leave it alone. You know, I say leave it alone and, and let it work. So what we focused on was, okay, we want all these features in this lower. We want it to be just as good as, as the ones that are out there for 300 400 I see some for $500. Um Little stuff, our, our threaded bolt catch pin, um, threaded pin for the uh, takedown detent spring, um, just little odds and ends stuff that, that we can do differently. And at the same time, updating updating how this stuff is made and how it's manufactured. Um, I think a lot of guys that have been in the game a long time, uh, you know, everybody copied Colt at one point and Armalite, and 
And they kind of did things, hey, I saw a photo of their factory and they used this machine to do this. And uh, people laughed at me when, when, I, when we started. I said, hey, we can buy a brooch machine and start broaching our own AR magwells. And everybody laughed at me like, you don't know anything about broaching. And I'm like, it can't, you know, it, it's like anything else. It's learnable. There's somebody else doing it. That means it's possible. Um, there might be a reason. And, and all of the brooch manufacturers I talked to tried to talk me into three 12-foot tools and, and all this crazy stuff to broach this magwell. We figured out on our own how to do it, you know, a lot, a lot quicker, uh, a lot cheaper, a lot smaller equipment and smaller tools. Um, there's the technology has changed so far. Um, I want to reach through the screen so many times and, and sometimes not you guys personally, but sometimes on your podcast, sometimes when I'm reading on, you know, different forums, I want to just reach through the screen and choke the next guy that says mill spec, mill spec, mill spec. Mill spec was, was, is so outdated uh, when it comes to this platform. It, it's ridiculous. Um, Technology and coatings and manufacturing, everything in materials has come so far. And, and, but people are like stuck to that, like glue and, and they won't get off of it. And I'm like, stop for a minute. We can do this so much better and at the same time faster, which makes it cheaper. And we can offer you guys products that are, uh, uh a lot less in cost than what's out there because we're doing things differently. We we're really, uh, like I said, we were new to the manufacturing world, which was, was a curse at the beginning. Um, but now, we, we come at it with different, with, with very clear eyes. Uh, we work with a lot of, uh, um, you know, 40, 50 year machinists here in town that we talk to and, and consult with and companies that we bring in to come, come check with, uh, check with us and consult with our guys we buy tooling from. And talking to those guys, they get a kick out of it because they're like, you guys are like, you're like cowboys doing this. Like you don't, there's no rule. You're just like figuring stuff out and, and, and you're like, why can't you do it this way? Where, where they're like, they admit to it that, they're stuck doing it a way that they learned 40 or 50 years ago. And not that they didn't think there's another way. They just, who cares? Let's just do it this way because we know it works. And and we're here like, hey, wait a minute. You can make 10 an hour. We want to figure out how to make 50 an hour. Let's 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 really look at this. And we're coming up with ideas that are actually working, and, and it's scaring the heck out of them. But um, and, and I think that's what we bring to the table. I think we brought uh, value to the table, throwing in some of the features on these lowers, on these billet, billet lowers that are uh, – that only we're coming in a lot of the high end stuff and uh, doing it for a price that's that's very affordable. Um, we we lose a good chunk of the market share because of our prices, and, and I'm okay with that because, like I said, the the other share is quite a bit bigger, and and I'd rather see uh, I'd rather see my guns out being shot by the average guy, and 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 we hear it all the time, like, well, I want to be able to take you know guys that are never going anywhere past their local neighborhood range or you know start talking about desert conditions and wartime and this and that and i'm like well you're not in the military you're not taking this to war we didn't build this for you to take to iraq to, to defend the country uh, this is something to take to the range to go shoot or to throw in your house or whatever and uh i i like that i like that group of people and they're out actually putting real rounds for these guns and they're and they're out shooting them and they're having a good time with them and, and they're affordable they're, they're able to buy this stuff and get out there and have fun so uh i'm okay with a little portion of the market we lose um i i think there's I think there's far superior products at, at double the price, triple the price, and that's it's not because we can't do that. We can clearly do that, but I don't want to be in that market. We we had to make some compromises and hit the market that I think we needed to be in and that we're happy in. Um, so there's some guys that just won't touch. Oh man, a billet lower for 120 bucks. Mine is what XYZ brand and it costs 480 dollars stripped. Good. I mean, if that makes you happy, then go for it. And there's nothing wrong with it. And I own some of them personally. Um, and there's there's a place for them on my fancy wall when I'm pressing people. But um, to just get out and shoot, put some rounds down, it doesn't need to be that bad. And, and it doesn't need to hurt the wall that bad. And 
guys with big families or guys buying guns for their kids. You know, these nine mil carbines make an awesome gun to get a kid started in the AR world. Um, keep it nice and light and low recoil and it's just a all around cool platform. So I, I think that's the biggest thing is the, the value we bring to the industry um, without cutting too many of the features and the whiz bang stuff that goes with it. Well, let's talk about what you guys are putting into it. That's actually you guys. So you guys are doing your uppers and lowers, and you're licensing the the last bolt hold up. And so, is that something you're uh, manufacturing and installing into the upper receivers? You guys are doing parts of it. There's a lot of stuff we can't talk about because we have a lot of non-disclosure sure. agreements with other companies. But um, we focus mostly on mill work, so not a lot of barrels or bolts. Uh, that stuff gets outsourced um, for now. It's definitely something we're we're looking at and something we'll, we'll grow into over time. But right now we're we're kind of staying in our lane and we're focusing on what we're really good at. Um, we're making our milled parts for a ton of other companies, and a lot of those companies are turning around and making barrels and bolts and, and things like that to our specifications. So. And so in terms of what you have available to your customers, to take one of your stripped receiver sets from concept to finished rifle, are you – a final destination for all those choices. They can get onto your website, fill their cart, and have the entirety of the rifle purchased in one sitting. Absolutely. Um, like I said, we're we're seeing some growing pains right now. Uh, I I knew this would be popular, and I knew we'd put a pretty big dent in the market and, and stay busy with it. Um, but even I underestimated uh, what it what it really turned out to be. So, like I said, trying to keep everybody happy. Um, a lot of retail customers get upset because they come to my website. My website was more for, even from the beginning, it was more for information for the retail customer. Um, if I have dealers waiting in line for this stuff, it's not because I like the dealer more. I'm making less money when I sell it to the dealer, so it's not because of greed or anything else. Um, I, I like, I think that the uh, the dealers, if they're going to put shelf space towards my product and they're going to put the time and effort into pushing the product as well, um, I, I think I owe it to them to make sure that when they want their shelves filled, that their shelves are filled before I go straight to retail. Um, it's, it's a change in this industry. That's it's, it's liked by some and, and some people look at it and frown at it, but we're in a really, really weird position where we're a, a retail store, uh, a wholesaling outfit and a manufacturing shop all in one. Right. So we're in a really weird position uh, where we got to try to balance all that out. Um, but more and more you're seeing manufacturers going direct to retail and, uh, we're trying to do it in a way where it balances out, where, where we don't make our dealers really unhappy. And, and I'd rather see the dealers making the sales on this stuff than, than us on the web. I'd rather see people go to their local dealers and shake them down and say, hey, I want this stuff. And uh, I know JD's dealt with the girls in the office. I, know I have awesome, awesome employees. I'm, I can't brag enough about them. That's, that's one thing I'm super proud of. Um, the girls in my office are amazing. I, we definitely couldn't be anywhere near where we are without them. Um, if a dealer called tomorrow morning at the minute after they open at 10 one um, and, and talked to him on the phone and said, Hey, I'm a new dealer. I had a customer asking about this product. They're signed up within three minutes. They have a price list that, you know, we make it super easy for these guys, the small dealers to come and buy ones and twos parts off us. Um, we go way out of our way for those guys because we, we started there and I think we have some sympathy for that. And we knew how hard it was when nobody wanted to return our calls or emails. So we, we really focus on that, but Yes, uh, the, the short answer is yes. We have all the components needed to, to build the rifles. Um, just like I say, between supply chain issues right now, while things are really busy, um, right now it happens to be lower parts kits, and, and it's definitely not us. It's 
tons and tons of companies are out of lower parts kits or right. already starting to feel some of this squeeze. The, the industry has been such a roller coaster for the last three or four years um, with really, really low lows. <laughs> and when the highs are here, they're extremely high that nobody can predict and, and keep up with. So I think all the way down the chain from, you know, people that are casting parts to, to people that are making springs to whatever they're, everybody's kind of in limbo saying, I don't know what to do. When I make a million parts, the industry tanks and I'm sitting on them all and then everything sells for cheap. And you're, you're seeing that now uh, over the last couple of years with forged lowers. You've seen forged lowers at a price that they haven't been at in a decade, um, which is, is great, I think. I, everybody's like, oh, they're flooding the market. Flood the market. I'll sell them parts all day long. They're going to have to build them at some point. Right. <laughs> like JD with, with his 150 <laughs> lower receivers that he has. At some point, he's coming up to buy upper parts, man. I know it. So... I, you know, I think that stuff's great and it, and it does, it, it levels out the market a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's, that's the hardest part right now is keeping everything in stock equally. And that's one of the reasons we always shied away from building rifles and, and a lot of complete components. Um, one, I'd rather have people be able to piece together exactly what they want and spend the money once. Um, it's like a motorcycle or a car or anything else. You spend the money on something and then the first thing you do is take it home, rip it to pieces and, and put a bunch of parts in the corner of your house for how long and put all these new stuff on it. So if you could just spend the money from the ground up, you can build that $2,000 rifle for, you know, eight, nine hundred, twelve hundred dollars uh, from the get go and leave with what you're happy with. Um, it's just a matter of getting all the, all the, all the chains to line up the right way and have all the parts all at once is a little tough. But I, I think that's part of the fun is going out and picking pieces here and there and, and getting it done. But yeah, we do offer all the parts to build a complete rifle. Well, you know, even from that perspective, you know, if you're trying to sell whole rifles, then you only get as many rifles up into inventory as you can actually complete. Whereas if you're selling parts, even if you're, you know, out of lower parts kits, if some guy's been stockpiling them for the last four years, he can buy the rest of your components all day long and fill out his wish list. Or they can find another retailer that has the one thing that you don't have, but, you know, they do have, which still means the guy walks home with a complete build. I, I, I don't see a problem with that at all. Absolutely. So, you know, tell me, in terms of, you know, when it comes down to the idea of New Frontier Armory um, riding this way, do you, do you see an unlimited... Uh, future on the manufacturing side and you'll have to forgive me while I sneeze here go for it <laughs> all right so I, know, I do I think the this industry isn't going anywhere um, we're our own worst enemies as customers and I'll talk as a, a shooter or a customer we're, we're our own worst enemies when it comes time of you know political crisis and turmoil we everybody runs out and does crazy stuff that they wouldn't have done last week and you know, I urge people, especially like my dealers, I urge them, like, please keep your keep your stock up where it's supposed to be now. Don't wait. Don't let me not hear from you for a year and then come at me crazy. You know, um, I, I think as much as we like to go in a panic over they're going to ban this, they're going to do this. I'm proud that we're in a country that I don't think people would let that happen. I, I, I'm not a doom and gloom type of guy. I don't ever see my guns sitting in a pile with a bulldozer going over them or lit on fire and melted down or. I don't see it happening. Um, we're very creative. Look at look at what we've done for states like New York and California, where every time they put in a law, it opens up a new product line. Right. Hey, we can make this funny looking stock now, or we can do this, uh, you know, bullet buttons, mag catches, different stuff. What's the way around these laws? Well, we work with a, uh, another manufacturer in New York, and we help them out with some products. And you know, he's made a, a new deal for a fixed magazine AR up there to get around some of the stuff. 
there's uh there's that stuff all brings opportunity and I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere um i think at some point and it would be really welcome by uh me and other manufacturers i think at some point the military is going to have to switch to something with a little newer technology a little lighter different materials stuff like that and i, I think i don't think the ar-15 will be our military weapon of choice forever and, and when that happens i think that's going to open up a whole new industry just like we have for the air 15 stuff. So right. I, I think it's a matter of uh, kind of like what we did with this pistol, pistol caliber stuff is stay really flexible, uh, keep our ear to the ground and kind of try to foresee as best we can where, where everything's going and, and kind of snake with it. But, well, you know, it's, um, it's well, we're coming up on uh, 80 years since uh, the war ended um, world war two. You know, I, I have a grand in my, closet because the 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 rifle is just amazing i can't imagine that you know we're not going to find ourselves at a point in time where the ar-15 uh isn't the military standard that someone 80 years later is still going to buy one because it represents what granddad carried you know um you know whatever the next conflict is going to be or whatever you know the next uh iteration so i mean i i I don't see I, i i agree with you completely you know, but, you know, I think here's something that's kind of a finer point on the whole issue. You know, when you talk about New Frontier Armory and the growing pains the company has gone through, you know, there is that point at which you can either, you know, go big or go home and it's, all right, well, let's double our manufacturing capacity or let's, let's, you know, invest, you know, enormous resources and, and, and maybe drop off this other component that isn't really as big a part of what we do today, even though it might have been the way that we started. Do you think that there's a point at which you guys will say, okay, the company is as big as I want it to be. This is as much as I'm ever going to do. We're going to just freeze it here, even if there is growth and opportunity. Or do you see you guys kind of at that position where, you know, if they're going to keep throwing a brass ring at us, we're going to keep grabbing for it. Um, honestly, Reed, while, while I'm at the wheel, uh, I'm not the guy to lay down and sleep on the job. There's, <laughs> there's plenty of times where I can, uh, you know, take off and I do, I go on vacations or I go on a lot of hunting trips, whatever. But I, I honestly, I work 90 hour weeks. I work seven days a week. Um, yesterday I was in here from six in the morning till nine or 10 at night. Um, I really, really love what I do. And it's gotten to the point now where, I may have lost a little bit of interest in some of the, the guns and stuff like that. Um, and the game, the game of doing this and, and creating some new stuff and trying to find these little voids to fill and little niches where we can, we can make some waves. Um, that's become like a really fun game for me. And I, and I'm trucking along at it and I, I don't, it would take a lot to get me to stop, to just stop and say, okay, this is enough. Um, I, I know I have to do that in parts of my business. And like we discussed with the, with the retail store, there's a limit that that thing can get to. Um, I'm fighting a, a Bass Pro Shop and a Sportsman's Warehouse in town in the same valley. So there, there's not, I'm never going to be those guys, and I don't want to be those guys. It, they can keep that part of it. Um, but as far as the manufacturing and the wholesale side goes, uh, I, I don't see me slowing down. I think we're going we're gonna to keep growing it. I'm that guy that keeps rolling the dice, and, and, uh, and we do. We fall on our face here and there, and I'll be the first to admit it. And, and I think... If anybody that's ran successful businesses tells you otherwise, they're, they're lying to your face. Uh, there's, it hurts. There's times where you're wrong. There's times where you make really bad decisions. There's time where you make decisions that cost you a ton of money and you think you'll never recover from it. But, uh, we, we just keep getting back up, getting on our feet and, uh, 
and, and kicking butt. And I think I, I don't I don't see where there's will there be a day where I say like, hey, we're good enough. Let's just keep making bread and butter. I I, I don't see it. I think we'll keep uh, rolling with the trends, um, keep trying to put out some new product and and keep up with the market and, and truck along, keep adding stuff to the uh, our inventory. Reed, when I went to visit David uh, up there at New Frontier and to talk about the 9mm carving, he's like, don't even ask my staff for me. Just shoot me a text because they, they won't let anybody get to me because he's a very busy man. So uh, I appreciated the time he put in uh, for the 9mm giveaway to, to discuss that. But, yeah, I, I believe it. I believe he sleeps there and goes home very late. And uh, putting in a lot of hard work there at New Frontier Armory. Supposedly that's all going to change. I have a, a, a baby on the way next Wednesday, our first child. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to definitely be an adjustment for me to, to put my most important focus somewhere else than my business because uh, this is what I've lived and eaten and sleeping, uh, you know, for seven years now. And uh, my wife is super supportive of it. Um, she makes jokes a lot, but she knows, you know, I'm doing it all for the right reasons and. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a big change for me, definitely, to, to step back a little bit and, and put some extra time in there. So it just means my sleep goes from four hours to two hours, I guess, now. We'll, we'll oh, see. no, that, that's all right. That's that's daddy there. That's daddy time. J.D. and I, we've, we've been there. I tell you what, you need to get that little strap-on doohickey that lets you carry the baby on your chest. And you right. can do all the paperwork at your desk you want and spend some... Oh, uh, we've, we've discussed that for sure. Uh, my wife's a real estate agent, so we're... We're both pretty flexible with our schedules, so we've talked about how the that baby's going to grow up here for sure. She's going <laughs> to she's going to run this company someday. So, but she'll start at the bottom in a in a little playpen here in my office. So, well, JD, do, do we want to go through some of the uh, listener questions about the uh, non millimeter uh, uh, carbine uh, and uh, give David a chance to uh, wrap this show up so we don't keep him up all night? Yeah, um, I, I think we thoroughly answered the uh, last round bolt hold open question that Mike K had. So, Mike, if you need more information on that, uh, you can probably contact New Frontier Armory directly. Um, you, you know, everybody seems to think this nine uh, millimeter carbine is going to be theirs, David. That, I've, that's I've heard that. I have guys already customizing them, and <laughs> I have guys coming in the store. We we tried to spread the word the best we could. Um, bring some people over to your Facebook page and get some people signed up, some of the local customers especially. And, and I have, yeah, I have guys coming in the store saying, Hey, when I win that thing, will this handguard fit? Will this, you know, can I just this on there? What kind of optic do you think I should get? And I'm like, Hey, whoa, whoa, slow down. Hey, actually real quick, JD, while we're on that, the giveaway gun, I, I do, I have to do a shameless shout out plug to, uh, one of my favorite dealers, uh, out in Lake Havasu, Arizona, um, RTT firearms. They're, uh, Really up and coming. I've been watching them grow for the past year, and they're they're really really starting to break in up there. And uh, they're doing some really really great Cerakote work. And uh, like I told you guys, they they've uh, donated a Cerakote job for the uh, the rifle. So the components are heading up their way tomorrow to uh, Robert and Evelyn, and and they're going to take care of that for you guys too. I think I just saw on Facebook that uh, they got a CNC machine today, right? Yeah, Robert got one in. His, uh, they've been in machining businesses before. They've done some motorsport parts and some different stuff, so they're not new to any of that. But, yeah, they're, they're getting into a little bit of that themselves as well. So you watch watch some big things coming from those guys soon. Awesome. Yeah, I keep um, looking at trying to get one of those things, and, you know, when they start topping out at $100,000, 
and up. Uh, I, I think that's you know my lottery fantasy uh, time there. I don't, I don't think I'll be able to go that route until then. So, um, you know, Tom G, he's one of our constant contributors. We're thinking that we might have to get him a restraining order against him. You know, I think Tom probably communicates with with us at least every five minutes. I don't know how the man can can do the amazing things he does because he's always talking to us. But uh, he says, do you guys have plans to come out with a 357 SIG version? So he needs to spend some of that time reading the product descriptions on the website. Yeah. So right, right now, the, uh, the C9 lower, obviously 9, it, it, There's you have your Glock small frame magazines and your Glock large frame magazines. Um, so we'll have them both covered. Uh, the 357 SIG will fall under the Glock small frame, which is already out. So we called it the C9, that you know, 9 millimeter, but uh, it, it'll be 9 millimeter. You can put 40 magazines in it, and you can put 357 SIG magazines in it. So no, it's already there. Here's the, the question. The problem is you want to want barrels. Yes. So, and it, it goes back to, um, I think we were off the air when we spoke about it, but the uh, the issue with that is just production. Right now, uh we're running two or three different lines of, uh, of barrels for nine millimeters. Uh, we have 40 barrels running right now, and we'll be out really soon as, long, as well as 40 bolts. Um, and then we're going to work pretty hard on the 45 stuff. Um, the 357 SIG, it's not because we don't want to do it. It's just the, the, the cost of, of doing them right now and, and slowing down the other stuff that has so much momentum and so many more people want is, is a little bit prohibitive. And that's why... If you do a quick Google search for a 357 SIG AR-15 barrel and you find one, I'm thinking high 200s, low $300 range where where it should be a $100 part. Um, and it's for that reason. And nobody's getting ripped off. It's just it's a it's a specialty item. So will we? Yes, absolutely. I, I plan on having all of that stuff in. It's just the, the order that we bring it out in probably is not going to make the, the 357 SIG lovers super happy um, <laughs> because the, the guy shooting 9, 40, and 45 uh, way outweigh his opinion, and uh, they're going to come first. But we, we will have 357 SIG components out, um, I'd say, by the end of the year, and uh, 10 millimeter as well. 10 millimeter is actually will get done also before the 357 SIG. Um, it's a real practical hunting round for a lot of the guys. We talked about a little bit doing uh, doing some hog hunting, which is becoming super popular as the, the hogs take over many of our great states. So uh, the 10 millimeter will come out after the, the standard calibers and then 357 SIG. But, yes, we will have them all. Well, let me ask you a question just operationally. As far as uh, the bolt, the 40 cal bolt and the 9 millimeter bolt, is there much of a distinction other than having to adjust for the extraction the case, the case head and uh, the extractor, yeah. That's, other than that, it's not much at all. So uh, Jason B. says uh, he wants to know the details about what his new rifle will be as far <laughs> as barrel bolt carrier group, um, the handguard trigger, iron sights optics. So we're using your uppers and lowers. Uh, the barrel yeah, – go ahead. JD and, I, JD and I sat down and, and kind of hashed something out. Um, even after last night's episode, I know you guys aren't the hugest fans of pistols, so he talked me right out of that right away. No AR pistol. Um, that's honestly what's been most popular is uh, pistol lower with uh, 8-inch 9mm barrel. That's been by far the, the biggest seller everywhere. And, and uh, you know, you like to think everybody's out following the rules, but um, we're, we're huge fans of the Shockwave Brace. 
and probably for all the wrong reasons and probably for the reason that we sell so many of them. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there not following the rules and not putting that thing, strapping it to their arm or whatever. But I, I think that's what's going on. And that's clearly become the most popular stuff. But uh, JD and I sat down and we wanted to open this up to everybody. We don't want it to be, oh, if you're in California, you can't win. Or if you're in New York or this or that or whatever, um, Maryland, you know, so we tried to do something that meets everybody's regulations or that I can easily convert to meet everybody's regulations. So we settled on a, uh, a pretty standard 16 inch, uh, 16 inch nine millimeter carbine. Um, our upper and lower, our handguard. Um, we'll do uh, B5 is who I like for, for stocks and grip. Uh, so we'll have a B5 systems upgraded uh, Bravo stock and, and their grip, a little different grip angle on it. We really like them on these, on these pistol cow carbines. And then, um, these and our our bolt carrier and all our small parts and then uh like i said rtt will be doing the uh cerakote job on it so have a pretty sweet gun he hasn't he hasn't committed to what he's doing yet but i told him this man you're gonna be famous you're on this you know we're mentioning you on this podcast so you got to make this thing count so i'm sure uh robert will, will stay out late at night for weeks on end to get this thing <laughs> pretty so, cool paint on it. in terms of uh the trigger any trigger, uh, standard mill spec, uh, standard Geisley, standard something you guys do. What, what, are you, what are you doing in terms of the trigger on this? Right now it has a mill spec trigger, but we're working with one of our favorite trigger companies to, uh, to get a, a small little elf to deliver us a trigger for it. So right. we'll see if we can like get, get something rolling. Now, I know we're selling out of their stuff. Uh, we're, they got really popular too, and we were actually – ground floor with those guys and and uh we joke around with them all the time we're saying, hey man my my show my walls are empty you were begging me to buy these things when nobody knew who you were <laughs> and now my shelves just sit empty and i'm nobody so uh we're messing with them a little bit as, as long as we get their stuff back in stock in time we're going to drop a, an elf trigger in it for you guys good, as well good. well you know i'm i'm uh, a big fan of their new safety selector there so I, I had to buy an inordinate number of them so that i could replace some of my other ones cool stuff um so of course uh, I'm sure Jason threw iron sights in there because I'm always you know harping on them. But um, uh, Jason, we're going to uh, assist with uh, that side of it. Uh, so we're going to see what we can find, and uh, unless of course David, you you want to pitch in on that front. The sights I put on it won't be made of iron. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll give it to you guys. Uh, we have this JD. Actually, you guys talked about it a little bit last night about our. Wild West uh, shooting adventures once you leave county limits, city limits. Um, we, we joke around a lot of the guys because they're like, you know, well, I, I can just shoot it like this. Tons of guys buy these guns, and they don't they don't even realize that they can, uh, you know, adjust their their flip-up sights or their iron sights or whatever. And, and we joke around. We have this term. I, you know, we go out and see these guys shoot, and we're like, oh, my God, what are you doing? And he's like, well, if I aim four feet high and seven feet to the right, I can hit that thing over there on the left side. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, uh, so we have a, a term called the uh, minute of washing machine. And uh, in Vegas, as long as the guys can hit a washing machine at 50 yards, that gun is, is dialed in to the T. <laughs> <laughs> They're out there junkyard desert shooting for the, for the majority of us that, that go out there and do that. So, yeah, I'll give it to you guys ready for minute of washing machine. No problem. Uh, that's all right. Well, i got to tell you, when I grew up um, in, in elementary school age uh, days, I'd visit my uh, relatives up in Pennsylvania. My uh, uncle would hand me a 22 on a brick of uh, shells, and I would shoot the appliances in the dump um, 
And there is nothing like shooting a washing machine with a firearm because it just makes a really nice circle. Cool sounds. As soon as all of that uh, enamel comes flying off of wherever you hit it. I mean, it's a yeah. great reactive target. <laughs> um, so in terms of the your standard carbine, everything that's aftermarket is traditionally going to work on it. You don't have a, a gas tube, and so... There's no need for a gas block. And so in terms of your handguards, really you don't have anything that's going to impede the attachment uh, other than perhaps some handguard that indexes to a barrel nut, and all of a sudden you have to index your barrel nut where you would traditionally have indexed it with a gas tube. Mm -hmm. Other than that, everything should work fine, right? Yeah, and that, and that shouldn't be an issue either. Um, just because it doesn't have a gas tube on it doesn't mean you can't shove one in the hole uh, in the upper to, to align everything. Um, the hole is the hole for the gas tube is still in our uppers or any upper you use when you build off our lower. So you can still align the stuff that way. Um, we worked with uh, Battle Arms Development early on when we first started manufacturing, and we make sure we put our nubs and everything so we can get their selectors in, uh, drop in without people grinding on stuff and drilling holes and all that. Um, the only part that that isn't interchangeable, I guess, is the uh, the magazine catch. Um, that, that's a part that we make specific for the lower, and nobody's making aftermarket stuff yet, and, and there's really not a, a huge need for it. Um, other than that, that's that's the only thing that really can't be changed. Everything else is, is standard parts on it. Tell me about the hammer. You don't have a need for a thinner hammer on your rifle, do you? No, we changed the ramps on the bolts. Um, both bolts work in uh, both bolts. Fury groups that we sell for the 9 and the same that will be with the 40 and the 45. Um, they'll work with Glock mag lowers or Colt mag lowers, and uh, no need for a 9mm hammer, no. All right. Well, I'm going to let you take the next one, J.D. <laughs> well, you commented on it uh, on the last show, so we'll see if, if David comments on it because uh, Craig wrote in and said, uh, what is the difference between New Frontier Armory's 9mm AR carbine versus Stag Arms 9mm AR carbine. Now, David, you can decline to comment if you wish. Oh, we like those guys. I'm a, I'm Connecticut born and bred, so I, I know a lot of the guys over there. Um, the main difference, the one they're putting out is that is that Colt Mag deal, so it's main difference would be the Glock, Glock magazines. Um, I haven't been super up on their stuff. They might be putting out a Glock Mag one as well. Um, I can tell you that uh, some of it's the price, the uh, last round bolt open that works. Um, it's just th- different guns. It's it's the same as asking, you know, the 50 guys that make forged AR lowers, what's the difference between your forged lower and this forged lower? It's, you know, what time it was when the hammer hit it. it people are going to have to judge for themselves. I'm not going to tell you which brands are better than which and who's better than us and what's not. And it's a preference thing like anything else. We talked about it with car brands or anything else. It's a it's a personal preference thing for a lot of people, and then I think a lot of it rides on price as well. Well, you know, I think uh, my answer was a little more uh, uh, of a... Salty? Smart, okay, a little salty. <laughs> I said that the biggest difference was is that New Frontier Armory makes one and Stag makes the other. But. And we're giving one away to the AR-15 podcast. <laughs> yeah. Step up, exactly. Stag, come on. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, well, uh, I tell you what, I... I was really, really impressed with what I saw at uh, at shot, 
and we're really thrilled with how gracious you've been uh, to, you know, basically, you know, give a, uh, a round of applause to our listeners for just being dedicated. And, and you know, uh, it's a great industry that um, we get to just kind of touch the hem of and we, you know, look, you know, enviously at you sitting in the chair and being able to, you know, drive one of the dynamic cogs of the industry. And so we really appreciate you coming on and just kind of sharing with all of us everything that's going on over there at New Frontier Armory. Oh, that's cool. I joke around a lot, uh, coming out a lot. And I, I, at some point I was going to approach you guys and you beat me to it. So I'm a, I'm a longtime listener of the show. So it's, it's been pretty cool to be on. I appreciate it. That's going to wrap up this week's edition of the AR-15 podcast. We kind of step back into time and have a look at the New Frontier Armory, the story of that with our friend David, who passed away earlier this week. And uh, we just uh, send him our thoughts and our prayers to uh, his family, his friends, and those that are at New Frontier Armory. And uh, we'll talk to you guys real soon. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at firearmsradio.tv.